Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to day 7 of 31 Days of Terror. To kick things off this week, I need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Megan Ryan, Gina, Jamie Arrestis, Cindy Lyon, Catswoman, Richard Willis, Roxy Guzman, Daniel Hand, Grace Walker, Leonard Stannard, Mary Ann Minor, Signe Saylor, Sarah Richardson, Amy Gouger, Samantha, Claudia Speed, Sarah Bruliette, Sarah DeMauro, Holly, and Paul Bowersox. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. It is so appreciated and I'm thankful for you every single day. And we have one story for you today and it's a pretty long one. And the story today comes from the lovely Janine. I've moved all over the United States. By the time I graduated high school, I'd been to 14 different schools. Before you asked, I'm not a military kid and I'm not in the witness protection plan. I have a deep love or need to relocate and travel. I have heard that in Europe I am descended from a long line of Welsh travellers. My grandparents moved around a lot. My parents moved around a lot and I grew up just wanting to move all the time. My husband is in a family that have lived on the same piece of land for 150 years and since living with me for the past 15, he has moved nine times. That poor man. But I digress. Growing up, we moved all over and each time we did, I looked at it like a new adventure, a fresh new start, a new bedroom to set up, a new neighbourhood to explore, new corner stores to check out, what soda or candy they sold, etc., But when I was 14, it was one of the most different moves we had ever made. We left Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of February. It was warm and sunny almost all of the time. We left Phoenix with two suitcases each, my mom, my dad and myself, and flew to Oklahoma where we stopped to get my aunt. She had just married a man who had a home in Vermont and was part owner of a family farm with a huge amount of acreage. We all wanted a fresh start, so we all moved to Vermont in February, from Phoenix, Arizona. I had seen ice and snow when I lived in Oregon as a child, but it was never something that interrupted our daily lives. Once an ice storm had closed the school for a few days in Portland, but to actually be in snow that required a coat had never happened to me. We loaded my aunt's stuff up in a truck and drove from Oklahoma to New York. When we got to New York, we picked up my cousin and her three daughters, Now it was a caravan. We had a huge U-Haul, a regular pickup truck and a small car. 
we drove over to a little village called Walcott in Vermont. We arrived in the middle of the night and I had fallen asleep in the truck. Dad woke me up and ushered Mom and myself inside the little mobile home he had rented. The rest of my family moved on to Craftsbury where my aunt's husband owned a large farm. I was so tired that night and just dragged myself into our new place. Dad told me where my bedroom was and I didn't even bother to check out my surroundings. I was just exhausted. I do remember realising that the bed I was sleeping on was very different than any other bed I'd ever had. It was a metal box spring bed with no covering, like old-fashioned. You could see all of the metal springs and everything. It made an awful creaking sound when I lay down on it, but I was too tired to care. The next morning I woke up and my dad had already moved our few belongings into the new place. The first thing we did was to pray and bless the house. Dad anointed the doorposts and the windows with oil and Mom and I prayed as we walked through the house. This was common practice to me. We always prayed over a new place that we moved into. After I set up my room and moved what few things I had into place, I told Dad I was going to walk downtown and look at everything. He laughed and told me to wear the new coat he had just purchased for me and not to forget my scarf and my mittens. I was confused. We had just moved from Phoenix, where I was out until all hours of the night, in shorts and a tank top, running around with friends, walking to the corner store to buy candy or to play video games. I did as he said, put on the coat and mittens and opened the door to explore my new neighbourhood. There was nothing there. I mean, there were two other little mobile homes up on the hill next to ours, and a large barn about 50 yards away. But other than that, everything was covered in about a foot of snow. The first thing I thought was, where am I? It was an odd sensation to look down the road and see nothing but evergreen trees lining snow-covered cornfields. Haunting, really. The second sensation that washed over me and caused my eyes to water and my breath to catch in my throat and nose was that the sub-zero air felt so sharp it actually hurt my face. I was plunged into this odd feeling of thinking, dear God, am I still on earth? Are there humans that can breathe in this? I went back inside and looked at my dad. He just laughed and told me to put on the boots that he had bought me. I put my boots on, wrapped another scarf around my neck, determined there must be some civilization near me to explore. Another thing that you should know about me is that I adore animals. It doesn't matter what it is, I just love them. I would sooner talk to an animal I see walking down the street than to acknowledge the owner walking it. But again, I digress. I went back outside and decided to start with the barn. I figured there must be animals in there, and even if there was no corner store, perhaps the owner would let me pet their pigs? Chickens? Goats? Sheep? I wasn't even sure what lived in a barn. When I was about 100 feet away, I could hear the low mooing sounds of the cattle inside. I peeked my head in the window of the barn to see at least 50 cows in their stalls. I started to talk to them, and a few lifted their head my way to see what weird human was talking to them. I couldn't get inside the barn, and frankly I didn't want to piss off the farmer who owned them, so I just walked around to the outside. When I got to one end of the barn, I saw something that nauseated me, and caused me to shiver at the same time in a way that the cold weather could never do. It was a dead calf. It looked like it either didn't live through the birthing process, or a wild animal had managed to kill it. It didn't look right. 
I don't want to go into it, but suffice to say I didn't visit that barn ever again for fear of having to see that. Now I know farm kids would just shrug that off as farm life, but for a city girl it was just the worst. I found out within a few days that the closest village or town was actually five miles away in either direction. I felt so abandoned, so suddenly alone. I knew I had my mom and dad, but it wasn't the same. One of the other mobile homes next to me was empty, and the one on the other side had a young family with a six-year-old son and an infant daughter. The farmer who owned the property lived further up the road, but he was older and his children were all grown up. About a week later, Dad had taken me to the high school that I would be attending. I got registered and actually was loving the building. It was like a castle to me. I mean, this massive brick structure had been built with lookout towers. It was originally meant to be a mansion built by a millionaire. It was built in 1927 before World War II. I had just come from the West, where everything was brand new, so to see something old was so exciting. There was a sense of adventure, of finding out more about this place. At the top of one of the towers, there were tiny rooms that I can only imagine were made for one person to sleep in. There was just enough room for a bed, a desk, a chair and a wardrobe. I snuck to the top of one of the towers one day and peeked out the window, and you really could see the entire town. The school was built on a very high hill as it was, and the tower was on the fourth floor of a massive building where the floor heights were 15 to 20 feet each, so probably 70 feet up I could see everything. I decided I would explore this school with all of my free time, such as study halls, etc. There were so many rumours about ghosts, but being from a family of Christian faith, I never believed in ghosts. I do, however, believe in spirits, evil spirits and good spirits. The first thing I needed to know about was the rumour that the basement of the school used to be an in-ground swimming pool. So whenever I had a bathroom pass or was at school a little late waiting for the bus, I explored. I found the library in the basement, two locker areas and study hall rooms. One of the locker rooms was so dark, there was no light switch, just one of those weird metal slits in a panel, and my guess is only the janitorial staff had a proper tool to turn the lights on. Being an imaginative 14-year-old, I knew that the dark was where all the supernatural and paranormal happenings occur, so I was reluctant to go into that locker room. But a pool in the basement would have been so amazing to find. I crept into the locker room and there was a little light that came through a ground level window behind some stairs on the other side of the locker wall. I poked my head into the room and immediately realised there was no secret passageway to a pool. But while I was looking into the locker room, another door behind me opened and some poor student nearly got drop kicked. I should also make it known that I was into my industrial 80s punk phase at the time, with a blue mohawk, safety pins holding shredded jeans together, knee-high boots, and an old army jacket with buttons all over it. I was going to school in the middle of a rural farmland, with kids wearing polos, tight blue jeans or khakis with leather deck shoes. I screamed at the top of my lungs and spun around to see this guy carrying a package out of the door, who promptly screamed back at me and nearly dropped his packages. I must have scared the daylights out of him. But he made some comment about me scaring him. I made a return comment that he scared me and he grabbed the boxes and went on the way. I just stood there and waited for him to leave before I pulled the handle of the door he had just exited. It was so dark. 
I could see a faint light at the end of the hallway, but the first thing I realised is that the ceilings were insanely low. I'm six feet tall, and my spiky hair added another two inches to my height. I remember feeling my hair brush against the ceiling. This sensation caused me to hunch over a bit, so I didn't dust any cobwebs up with my hair. The hallway was perhaps 30 to 40 feet long and completely dark, but there was a light on at the end that was too small to be an overhead light. It was coming from something like a small desk lamp or a flashlight that was sitting still. I moved towards the light, and I finally started seeing what the light at the end of the hallway was illuminating. It was not a swimming pool, but it was the drama department's prop and costume storage. Obviously, they were moving things in and out of the basement for an upcoming performance. I heard somebody talking. It was a female voice, youngish. I assumed it was a student. I heard her say things like, We need to do costume fitting, and don't forget the backdrop. But I never heard anyone answer her. I decided to turn and leave, as I really had no business being there, and wasn't sure if I would get in trouble for being in the drama storage area since I wasn't in the drama club. As I turned to walk back down the dark hallway towards the door I'd just come through, I got the weirdest sensation. The skin on my arms got all prickly. My heart hammered a couple of beats fast, like an adrenaline rush. That feeling of, do not look back, don't turn around, just run. My logical mind kept saying, you just came from here, there was nothing. But I couldn't help it. Something wanted me to run. Something wanted me to get the heck out of Dodge, and so that's what I did. I ran back to the door and burst out through as if I was swimming from the really deep end of a pool and just needed air. I slammed the door behind me and rushed to the library. I needed to be near other humans at that moment. I hadn't seen a ghost, I didn't hear anything weird. It was just a feeling. I never did wait to find out if the person I heard talking was real or it was something else. Later that week my parents were at work so I was home alone. I was getting sort of depressed due to not being able to go downtown or hang out with my friends. I was used to having five or more friends around me at all times just being typical hooligans. Now there was nothing but snow for miles. It was still daytime so I bundled up and decided to go outside. We didn't have any land but I walked outside down the driveway back and forth a few times where the snow had been ploughed. I got adventurous and decided to walk around the mobile homes a few times through the deep snow just to see how deep it was. It was only a foot or so deep, so as I got to the back of the house, I saw barbed wire fencing and realised that on the other side of the fencing must be where the cows are let loose in the warmer weather. Just as I was about to reach out and touch the fence, I saw something rust-coloured on the ground, and when I pushed the snow away from it, I jumped back, gasping through my scarf. It was a dead dog. A small terrier type of dog that sort of looked like a fox. I didn't know what was going on. What was happening? I just panicked for a while and looked around like a crazy person. When I finally found my wits, I went inside, took out a garbage bag and a towel and found the courage to go and put the frozen pup into the garbage bag. I fought back waves of nausea and tears as I felt how stiff it was from being frozen for however long it had been there. But I got it into the bag, then wrapped a towel around it to make it easier for me to hold. 
I could pretend it was just a bundle of towels. I walked to the trailer next door where the young couple lived and they said they didn't have a dog. I went to the farmer's house but the woman who answered the door stated that they didn't have a small dog but there was an elderly lady three houses down the road with a small red dog. I went to her house and rang the bell and I'm now realising I have to tell some old lady that her dog died. When she answered the door, I asked her if she had a dog. She said she did, and when I told her I had found a small red dog, she knew right away that her dog had died. I didn't know what to do. I started crying along with her. I think it had just gotten too cold, and when she let the dog out to go to the bathroom, it had frozen to death. Needless to say, I didn't go behind the mobile home for a few weeks, afraid that I would find another dead animal. We had now been living in the mobile home for about five weeks. I was getting used to the creaking and squeaking of the springs under my mattress. In Phoenix, I was used to hearing cars and people into the wee hours of the morning, so you would think something like voices in the night wouldn't wake me up. But they did. I could hear people talking. First, it sounded like someone out in the driveway unloading their car. I could hear what I thought were parents talking to kids. I knew the young boy and girl lived in the trailer next door, so I didn't think anything was weird about it. But then I heard other kids. I never really listened close enough to hear their words. It was sort of like hearing the adults on Charlie Brown's specials talking. You know it's a conversation, but you hear tones and not words. But I heard more tones, more than two kids worth. I thought maybe my cousin was here with her three daughters. But why so late? But no one knocked on the door. I heard the wind whip around my end of the trailer, and sometimes you could imagine a scene from The Wizard of Oz when the house gets pulled up. I mean, wind chills in Vermont can feel really cold, but it was now the end of March, and the bitter February weather was turning into regular snowy cold weather of March, where it snows for days, but it isn't so cold anymore. The next time I heard the kids, I was in my room playing a Guns N' Roses tape in my Walkman, and it was about seven at night, so it was already quite dark outside. Mom and Dad were working late, almost an hour away, so I knew they wouldn't be home for a while. I heard the kids outside again. I thought it was weird that they would be allowed outside when it was dark, since they were quite a bit younger than myself. Then I thought it was weird that I could hear them outside over my Walkman. I shut my music off and still heard the kids. It sounded like they were right outside my bedroom window. I shut my light off in the bedroom and opened the curtain so I could see outside. It was that weird time when the moon isn't really visible enough to lighten things up, but the snow was white enough to be able to see. There were no kids there. I thought perhaps the next door neighbour kids were trying to scare me or something so I got my coat on, headed outside with my dad's flashlight to scare them. I got to the end of the walkway, and there are no footprints in the snow other than the ones that are packed down from walking to the car. How the heck were they not leaving footprints? I turned the corner at the narrow end of the mobile home where my bedroom window was, and I'm thinking I'm going to go BOO! and scare the kids and have them screaming running away. But there was nobody there. I wasn't about to investigate the back of the trailer where I found the frozen dog 
So I went back into the house and locked the door and went back to my music. Not an hour later and I hear it again. These voices of kids. And I'm thinking, what the literal hell is going on? I know my parents are due home soon, but it's really dark out now. And there is no way that I was going to go out into the dark, because that was where the monsters lived. So I turned on all the lights in the house, shut the curtains, double-checked the locks and turned on my tape deck loud. Now I was rationalising that there were some kids from the area, maybe further down the road, that I didn't know about. And they're messing around, like how I used to when I lived in Arizona. My parents got home probably an hour later and my dad was making comments about why every light in the house was on, like dads do. Mom looked over at me sitting in the living room and I must have looked pale or something because she asked if I was okay. I nodded my head but didn't look at her and she said, well now I know something isn't okay. I told her I just didn't feel good and was going to bed for the night. She said she loved me and dad yelled through the house, have a good night, and I went to my room. That was the first night I actually locked my bedroom windows, wedged a ruler down into the window so even if the lock was lifted, the window wouldn't slide, and thumbtacked my curtains to the wall around the window so they would never move. Didn't want to take a chance of someone or something seeing me from outside my window. Nothing happened for a while. Squeaky springs under the mattress every time I moved was all that I heard. Then one night, the next-door neighbour asked if I'd be willing to babysit his two children so he and his wife could have a date night. Now, I don't like kids. Didn't like kids then, and I don't particularly care for them now. It's not like I hate them. I just don't like how kids behave. My nephews and nieces behave brilliantly, so I don't mind them. But other people's kids usually annoy me. Anyway, I told him I would watch his kids, because I like cash more than I dislike children. I arrived a few minutes early, so that his wife could show me where all the baby stuff was. She told me that I probably wouldn't have to worry about the little girl, as she was an infant and had gone down for the night and probably wouldn't wake up for the four hours they would be gone. I did, however, have to entertain the little boy until his 9pm bedtime. After the parents had gone, I asked him if he had been playing outside at night near my trailer. He said he hadn't. But he wouldn't look me in the eye when he said it, and it made me feel unnerved, like he must be lying. So later in the night, I put on a VHS tape, and I mentioned it again, about how I thought I had heard him playing outside of my house at night time. He looked at me and he said, I don't play outside at night. I was content then that it wasn't him, since he was able to look at me. It was 9pm and I was hoping to put him to bed so I could watch something besides the cartoons that this kid watches. He asked for 30 minutes more, and I agreed. However, 9.30 creeped around, and I insisted that he went to bed. He seemed reluctant to go. Not the normal kid type of not wanting to go to bed, but like he was afraid to go to bed. And I got that. When I was younger, I hated going to bed in a dark room where the coat on the back of your chair looks like a hunched-over witch. So I told him I would leave his door open and the lights on in the living room could shine into his bedroom. He seemed okay with this, and I went out to the living room to watch TV. The parents came home and paid me. I thanked them and told them I would be okay with babysitting again. It was only about 100 feet from their trailer to mine. In the dark. 
Every sound that the forest made would echo over the snowy cornfields. It was so eerie. But on a full moon night, everything was lit up with a bit of a blue glow. It was actually pretty, if you didn't think demon spawn ghost children were playing outside your bedroom window. The massive hill behind our house was cut off by a barbed wire fence that I mentioned earlier. But now I could see a break in the fence. Two black lines in the white snow and then suddenly nothing. Then the two lines started up again. I mustered up enough courage to go and check it out and realised that the wires had been cut and there were tracks running through the snowy hill. It was a snowmobile trail. How had I not heard this before? Maybe they were freshly cut. I wasn't sure if this was something I needed to report to the farmer or if this was just how things worked in Vermont. So I got to my house and told my dad. He said he would let the farmer know someone had cut the fence in the morning. He also said he hoped the snowmobilers didn't come through here waking us up. Dad told the farmer the next day and he apologised for not letting us know that he'd given permission for someone he knew to cut the fence to ride his sled up there. He said we wouldn't hear the snowmobile at night because it was only so the guy could tow his kids up the hill the next day for a sledding party. Dad told me the farmer said I could join the kids for sledding if I wanted to. As much as I didn't like kids, the thought of doing something fun in the barren snowy wasteland sounded like it could be okay. The night before the sledding party, I was actually nervous. I'm not sure why. I had no idea what the ages of the kids would be. I didn't know if I would see anyone from my school. I didn't have a sled, so I didn't want to have to borrow one. But that night I heard the kids again. I thought it had to be the kids that would be at the party the next day, and they were maybe checking out the area where they would be sledding. But these were little kids' voices, and it was late, like 9.30 at night. I summoned the courage to peek out one of my curtains. I had not pinned the bottom, so I pulled it up just a sliver without having to unpin the sides. I looked out the window and I could see three or four shadows in the driveway at the end of the sledding area where the fence had been cut. I couldn't see them well, but in the moonlight with the snow I saw the shadows of them. Dark figures just mulling about at the end of the hill. They were just playing tag? I don't know. To this day when I think about it, I try to figure out what they were actually doing. I went to bed that night and didn't sleep much. I couldn't think about the kids outside my bedroom window. The more I thought about them, the more afraid I was. I laid there trying not to move because I knew that when I moved, my bed would squeak and it would cover up the sound of the kids. Sometimes I would strain to hear what they were saying, but it was never clear. It was muffled and then high-pitched laughing. And I really started to get scared. I think I must have finally got so tired my mind shut down and I was able to sleep. The next day was the sledding party. All the kids arrived, my parents were at work. I thought to myself, even if I don't like these kids, at least there are other humans around that I can see. It was daylight, and the warmer temperatures had started to melt the snow. There were icy rivulets of water coming down the sledding hill. So one of the parents tied a few of the sleds onto the back of the snowmobile, and then towed everyone up this immense hill. I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary on the way up. It was an odd sensation, and I kept thinking that any minute I was going to sled backwards down the hill into my driveway. But that never happened. 
At the top of the hill was a long lean-to. I can only imagine it was for the cows to have shelter when they were in this field during the warm weather. At the top, the rope was untied from the snowmobile, and one at a time we all started heading down to the bottom. It was a really long hill and very steep. In the sunlight, I could see behind my trailer where I'd found the frozen dog. Didn't look so scary in the daytime, and I remember thinking I was silly to be afraid of a backyard. It was my turn and I started down the hill. On my way down, I saw these little dark stones off to the right, and they were surrounded by the top half of a barbed wire fence. I got to the bottom of the hill, and it was actually really fun. Instead of getting a ride back up the hill for another trip down, I decided to walk up the hill and investigate the lean-to and the fenced-off stones. I hiked up that hill and went to where I'd seen the barbed wire fences. The snow was still over a foot deep, and with the sheen of ice on top it was extremely slippery. But if I pushed my foot down through the icy top layer, I could get a good hold to march up the stones. I easily stepped over the barbed wire, and moved towards the first rock I could see sticking out of the snow. The closer I got, I realised that these stones were in a strange formation. I stepped around one of the stones, and when I turned to look at it, I instantly got freaked out. It was a headstone. It was dark and weathered, like black streaks of moisture had ruined the face of it. I could read the name. It was exhilarating and scary all at once. I was in a cemetery. Then the next thought. My house was at the bottom of the hill from a cemetery maybe 30 yards away. I looked at all the stones in turn. There were maybe 30 headstones. They all had old-timey names like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Old-timey biblical names. There was one tiny white stone that was covered with snow, so I started digging the snow around it. It was a tiny white marble lamb. I loved it, I thought it was so pretty. I uncovered the name and read it, along with the date. March the 12th, 1842. To March the 14th, 1842. My breath caught in my throat. This kid buried here was only two days old when it died. Things like that never even occurred to me. It was so sad. I remember thinking I couldn't believe someone had to carve a stone for a child that was only two days old. I looked at the stone next to it. This one was grey, probably granite. It was dark and the name was almost worn off. But according to the dates, the person buried here was only seven years old. I kept looking at all the stones. I probably looked like a crazy person hand-digging through the icy snow to reveal stone after stone. My hands were cold, and the sledding party was over by the time I finished uncovering each stone. Not one single person buried there was over the age of 17. They were all children. It was a child's cemetery. As the realisation dawned on me that there were 20 to 30 children buried less than a stone's throw from my house. Of course now I started thinking that I knew the source of the voices that I had been hearing at night time. When my parents came home, I greeted them at the door with a series of words that probably sounded so insane. I was frantic to make sure that somebody else was as freaked out as I was. I just kept saying, 
There's a cemetery in the backyard. It's full of kids. My mother was her typical self, trying to calm me down and make some more tea. My dad kept reassuring me that they couldn't hurt me. I refused to tell them that I had heard children outside my window at night time. I'd seen enough horror movies to know that the person who hears and sees ghosts usually gets put away in a hospital. Not me, no sir. We moved into the nearest village within a few months. Whenever I drive by that house now, I look up on the hill and wonder if the people living in it have met their neighbours up on the hill. For a tidbit of history, it turns out it's the oldest cemetery in the country, and it was just for children. We'd only lived in Vermont about a month. I had already been hearing the weird children outside of my bedroom window for quite some time. But this one night, we were at church. It was the part of the service where we were just about done singing and starting to take up the offering. This woman burst into the sanctuary and she looked like she had just been in an accident or something. She was white as a sheet, but you could tell she'd been crying. My dad was one of the elders of the church, so he went to the lady. The church service was paused and we all turned to look at who came into the sanctuary late and in such a frantic state. Dad ushered her to a seat and she told him something. My dad looked distraught hearing whatever it was that she was saying. Now, I'm a pessimist, so my mind was racing with the most horrible and ridiculously terrifying things possible. Dad walked to the front of the church and tells the pastor that he needed to make an announcement. The woman had just received news that her nephew and niece were killed. She wanted prayer for the family. My dad started telling us what the woman had told him. She was crying uncontrollably now, and the women of the church quickly moved to her and brought tissues and hugs. We were a very small church and it was mostly older people. I mean like senior citizen old. I was the youngest person there and I was 14. He told us that the two children were in the cornfield at the farm just down the road from the church. The harvester had gone through and the children had been killed. Now being a mostly city girl, I had no idea what a harvester was. I thought maybe they got hit by a tractor but it was much more horrible than that. A harvester cuts down corn stalks that aren't used for human food and then grinds it down into silage. I kept thinking, what is this place that we've moved to? It feels like something out of a horror movie. There were no ghosts involved with the harvester accident that I know of, but once my friends and I were at the cemetery near that cornfield, it was night time and we all looked at each other. No one had to say a word. We all just knew that something was there and we ran. I mean, you have never seen a fat girl run so fast in your life. Vermont turned out to be a rather haunting place for me. Weird things happen to me all the time. I think it's because New England is so much older than the West Coast. There is so much more history and so many more chances for powerful things to get imprinted on the land. I will leave you with one of the places we moved to in the town. I was about 22 years old and I wanted to move out on my own. I got an apartment, a big two-story townhouse with two bedrooms, a massive kitchen and a dining room, a little reading nook, a landing and of course a bathroom. I moved in by myself and for some reason I did not remember to bless the house and pray before moving in like my family always did. I was living there for a few months when the building my parents lived in was sold and they could not find a place to live. So of course I had them come and live with me and take the larger bedroom that I was not using at the time. I'm guessing they assumed that I had prayed and blessed the house, but I hadn't. 
I started having nightmares. I found someone's name carved into a window pane with the date 1942 on it. I thought things like that were amazing because they were so old and had such history. But it wasn't long before the nightmares really started. Really disturbing nightmares. I never told anyone. But after the nightmares came I started seeing odd stuff in the house. There was a rocking chair on the landing and I swear I saw it move from time to time without anyone in it. I never felt comfortable in the kitchen or in the reading nook. I always felt like someone was watching me. Then one night, I saw death. I call him death. It is the same being that many people see during that weird time when you're awake and you can't move yet and no sound will come out of your mouth. I felt this overwhelming dreadful sensation come over me. I looked up and saw this man standing next to my bed. He was tall possibly over six feet tall. He wore a long coat like a trench coat and a hat. He had no face and was only made of darkness. I knew it was death. I tried to call for my mom in the bedroom down the hall but nothing would come out of my mouth. I remember straining to scream for my mom but only a breathy hoarse whisper would come out. But my mom must have been tuned in because even though I couldn't make a noise she came into my room sat on the edge of my bed and asked me if I was okay. When she opened the door, death vanished. He left like someone blowing out a candle on a birthday cake. I told her what I saw. I think I might have been crying. She got angry. Not at me, but at whatever spirit was trying to mess with me. She started praying, and I mean it was a combination of praying and yelling at whatever spirit had come into my room. I'd never seen her so angry before. She is a sweet, small, meek, mild-mannered woman who loves Jesus. But that night, I saw her rip death up one side and down the other. After we lived there for a while, the owner of that building told us that his mother had just died, who was technically our landlord, and he was selling the building. He already had a buyer and he needed us out within the month. He told us that his mother's house was still empty and not yet sold, but the apartment building we were living in currently already had a buyer lined up. He offered to let us live at his mother's now empty house until we could find a permanent apartment as he was planning on selling his mother's house. We agreed and moved into the lady's house that was only about a mile away from the apartment we were living in. The new place was amazing. I'd never lived in an actual house. I'd lived in apartments and campers but never in a house. This place was massive. Fully furnished basement with two bedrooms, a laundry room and a big play area and a two-car garage that led into a massive three-bedroom and two-bathroom main floor. The living room had a fireplace and there was a dishwasher. I'd never lived anywhere with a fireplace or a dishwasher. It was like pure luxury. But within a week, I already wanted to leave. I'd watched some strange documentary about superstitions, and one superstition is that construction people try to never make a set of stairs that includes only 13 steps. I jokingly went down to the basement, counting every step, and sure enough, there were only 13. But that didn't freak me out as much as what happened when I turned around at the bottom of the steps. There were windows in the basement, those tiny ones that are really high up on the wall at ground level, so the room had plenty of light. I got to the bottom of the stairs, after counting 13, spun around to see a wheelchair slowly ease its way to face the corner of the room. 
Now, I suppose that could get explained away by my moving down the stairs causing vibrations on the floor and the floor was uneven and that caused the wheelchair to move. Sure, let's say that, because the alternative is that there was a spirit in the house that wanted me to know that he or she was still there. I was assuming that it was the old landlady that had just died and she was probably ticked off that her son was selling off all her property. I shot back up the stairs and never went into that basement again. One night I was laying in bed. My parents had the bedroom at the other end of the hall, which was a full bathroom and a bedroom away from mine, so it was pretty far down the hall. I heard voices in the living room, like an entire room full of people muttering in whispered tones. It was like the night children all over again, but this time so many more people and all adults, and again I couldn't make out what they were saying, I just knew they were talking. I stood up and armed with a big unlit candle I walked out into the other room. There was nobody there and the talking stopped. But I was so terrified I ran back to my room, jumped into bed and pulled the covers over my head. But not until I'd kicked the covers under my feet for a full body blanket took. Another time there was something on my chest and throat in the middle of the night. My dad heard me gasping and came running into the room. He woke me up and I still couldn't breathe. He ended up taking me to the hospital that night, but there was physically nothing wrong with me. And I'm happy to say that we only lived there for a few months. Thank you so much to Janine for sharing your story. If you would like to share your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.